Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for February the 17th of 2020. Of course, my name is Samuel Adams and this is a daily gaming news podcast meant to bring you the hottest news you need to know from around the industry hosted on YouTube and podcast services around the world five days a week. This is your one-stop shop for everything you need to know in the world of gaming. But today we have a very big story, although you might not necessarily expect it to be one at first glance. Rainbow Six Siege is coming to the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X and it's going to be a launch title. We'll talk about what you can expect in the coming months from one of the biggest shooters in the world and on top of that, one of the biggest esports and how a launch game on the next generation of consoles could very well impact the future of Rainbow Six Siege and Ubisoft going forward. Then we'll talk about the coronavirus and the impact on Nintendo Switch production, Sonic the Hedgehog killing it at the box office, the future of Need for Speed, Blizzard's canceled StarCraft Ghost, and more on today's show. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. First off, Rainbow Six Siege will be ready for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X at launch, and of course, crossplay is also coming between the new gen and the last gen consoles. Rainbow Six Siege will be available to play on the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X consoles as soon as they launch, Ubisoft game director Leroy Athanasoff told Windows Central. On top of that, cross-generation multiplayer will also be supported, meaning next-gen console buyers will be able to play the game with friends that own current-gen PS4s and Xbox Ones, he added. I can't give you a date, and that's because those dates are, in the end, on the people doing the next-gen consoles," said Athanasoff. What I can tell you is that we are going to be on PS5 and Xbox Series X from launch. Ubisoft's cross-platform compatibility promise for Rainbow Six Siege is in line with what Microsoft itself guaranteed with Halo Infinite and other titles. Xbox Game Studios chief Matt Booty recently said that first-party Series X titles will also be playable on the Xbox One, adding that Microsoft's own Series X games would not be exclusive to that console for a while. Athanasoff also told PC Games in that Rainbow Six Siege will be the same version on next-gen consoles that PC players will already be playing. Quote, what we want for this game is that we never, never, never split our community, said game director Leroy Athanasoff. We want to be on as many platforms as possible. However, while players will get the most up-to-date version of Rainbow Six Siege, Ubisoft has already said that The Division 2 won't be coming natively to PlayStation 5, though it could work via backwards compatibility. Meanwhile, Rainbow Six Siege cross-platform compatibility is still up in the air. We would love to fully crossplay, have Xbox players matchmaking against PlayStation players, said Athanasoff. Again, this is more a discussion between Microsoft and Sony. All that said, PC cross-platform play sounds like a non-starter, even though everyone will be playing the same game. I don't think there will ever be console cross-play with PC, he said. And so, Rainbow Six Siege coming to the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. Uh, first, I want to address the cross-play. Cool. I love last gen connecting with new gen, whether it's between the new generation of Xbox and the last or the new generation of PlayStation and the last, whatever works, as long as the current version of the game that is out now on the current gen consoles at the time of this recording is still completely compatible going forward because you don't want a lot of different SKUs of the game. But the main piece of news here is the fact that Rainbow Six Siege, one of the number one games in the world, is going to be compatible and available on the newest generation of consoles at launch, and that is an incredibly important time to establish what games are going to be big going forward. Uh, one of the biggest reasons Warframe is as successful as it is is because it was there on the PlayStation 4 at launch when people honestly didn't have that much to play, and it was free to play back then, still free to play now, it really got a ton of 
people into the mix. Now, Rainbow Six Siege, although not likely going to be free to play at launch, it is going to be present there. And so whenever you have a lot of games that might not necessarily be promising at launch, might not necessarily be the best games at launch, you have Rainbow Six Siege, which is a familiar name. It's a time-proven success. On top of that, it's got a huge following in the esports community, meaning all of those things combined, Rainbow Six Siege is going to be very big on the next gen right at launch, and that's really good news for Ubisoft because they don't have to gain rapport with the gaming community like they had to during the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 generation. Siege has been a runaway success, and on top of that, a port to the newest generation of consoles is also likely going to mean that Rainbow Six Quarantine, the newest game coming out, is probably going to be coming to the next gen as well if that hasn't already been confirmed. But regardless, Rainbow Six Siege coming to the next gen is a very big deal because it basically establishes it as one of the biggest FPSs on the system as soon as it comes out, which is a lot, as I said, of good news for Ubisoft. However, not good news, the coronavirus is still going. It's still out there kicking. It is not helping at all when it comes to uh, anything, really, just in general, a horrible plague. But Nintendo is likely to face global switch shortages from the virus. And of course, you heard the voice of a New York correspondent for Bloomberg because I clicked play instead of mute. However, Nintendo Co. is likely to struggle to supply sufficient Switch consoles to its U.S. and European markets as soon as April due to a production bottleneck caused by the coronavirus outbreak, according to people with knowledge of the company's supply chain. Limited component supply coming out of China is affecting output at a Nintendo Assembly Partners factory in Vietnam, which the gaming giant primarily uses to build consoles for the U.S., said the people not asking to be named because the details are private. A shortage of components this month would affect Switch units scheduled for arrival in April after existing inventory and current shipments of the console have sold through. The potential slowdown could deal a blow to the Kyoto-based company, which is preparing to release a major new installment in the hit Animal Crossing game franchise on March the 20th. These first-party titles are the lifeblood of the Switch system's popularity, sustaining its sales momentum as it enters its fourth year since launch. Nintendo apologized earlier this month when it announced that Switch hardware and accessory shipments to Japan would be constrained by a virus-imposed production shutdown in China. Those products are now out of stock across many Japanese retailers, due also in part to aggressive cashback campaigns by local mobile payment providers. Quote, we do not see any major impact on the shipment to the U.S. currently, but we will remain vigilant and take steps if necessary, a Nintendo spokesperson told Bloomberg News. It is possible the supply would be affected by the virus if it becomes more widespread and prolonged. Switch shipments arriving into the U.S. in February and March won't pose any issue because they have already been dispatched from Asia, said the people familiar with Nintendo's operations. But difficulty may arise with accumulating enough units for the boats departing later this month or next, which would be arriving in the U.S. in April. Shipments would not completely stop but would be greatly reduced according to one person. The U.S. is the company's biggest market, accounting for 43% of its core business, while Europe and Japan account for 27 and 21% respectively. And of course, they go on to talk more about the divvying up of the production and of the consumption of the Nintendo Switch. Uh, but it looks like the coronavirus is continuing to grow and evolve into a bigger problem uh, than first intended. Now, one thing I want to say is that I listen to a lot of articles and I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, that have been talking about the coronavirus virus and its impact on gaming. And I want to make one thing very clear before it comes out in the comment section down below. Gaming is the last thing uh, that should be on anyone's mind. That is the most, uh, 
smallest piece of important news out of this entire situation. It's a very dangerous, uh, you know, contagion. You really don't want to be near it. In general, gaming, if you don't even worry about it, if you're anywhere near the coronavirus, just leave. The switch is a sacrifice. Just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But considering I do cover gaming news, that's why I am talking about it in this specific light. Uh, because at the end of the day, the gaming stuff doesn't really matter. And this is kind of a global pandemic. Not to freak you out or anything. But I did want to say that if you are looking for a Nintendo Switch later in the year, it looks like Nintendo could be facing some shortages if the, uh, you know, contagious coronavirus continues to make its impact around the world, which would not be good news. Uh, number one for gaming. Number two uh, for anybody. We really don't need a plague right now. However, Sonic the Hedgehog is breaking records for a video game movie debut. It pulled in more money than Detective Pikachu despite its early issues. The Sonic the Hedgehog movie has come a long, long way from that horrifying initial trailer. Paramount's adaptation just broke the record for a video game movie's three-day opening in the U.S., pulling in $57 million compared to Detective Pikachu's $54.3 million. Estimates have Sonic raking in $68 million over four days, which could give it one of the best President's Day performances of any movie, and definitely the best for the 2020 holiday weekend. That's not adjusted for inflation, but still no small feat. Remember, Sonic premiered in February when audiences are smaller and studios often slot their less promising movies, where Detective Pikachu debuted at the height of the early blockbuster season in May. Worldwide, the flick has earned about $100 million, with countries like Mexico and the U.S., excuse me, and the U.K. showing stronger demand than most. While few would call Sonic a cinematic tour de force, the strong, strong, ooh, we got a little bit of a, we had some kind of accent, the strong opening suggested that the decision to delay the movie and revamp Sonic's graphics paid off. If you have gripes with the movie, the visuals probably are not a part of them. It stands in sharp contrast to Cats, whose rushed CG put people off and contributed to a much smaller box office. The musical left movie theaters after just eight weeks with slightly under $27.2 million earned in all of North America. It's too soon to provide a definitive explanation as for why Sonic has succeeded where other video game movies have failed, but there are a few factors at play. The President's Day weekend opening certainly helps. There are plenty of parents looking to entertain their kids, and the movie does not have to compete against heavyweights. Sonic is also a very recognizable name, even to younger audiences, and recognizable talent like Ben Schwartz, Jim Carrey, and James Marston helps. While this is not necessarily proof that video game movies have hit their stride, it does show that they can fare well in the right circumstances. So personally, uh, my take on the Sonic movie, as somebody who has not seen it, is that the fact that it did get so much viral coverage, the fact that people were talking about the appearance of Sonic, and the fact that people got uh, the remade version of Sonic, is what is driving this movie to success. And if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say that they made the most disturbing, humanoid, hybrid, uh, disgusting creation for the original Sonic design, then that was the marketing campaign. That's how they got the word out about the movie. That's how they generated excitement. And then they actually put out the legitimate Sonic design. And I really think that probably is what happened. What I'm saying is I'm a conspiracy theorist when it comes to the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. But all of that's beside the point. I'm glad to see the movie doing well. Jim Carrey as Eggman. Who would have thought that is something that would actually turn out to be a big win? Uh, but on top of that, Ben Schwartz, hilarious uh, as Sonic the Hedgehog and in general, a very good actor. 
But really glad to see that Sonic is doing well, and this inevitably is going to bring us a Sonic the Hedgehog 2, uh, which I would imagine is probably going to do just as well, and this very well could be the new Despicable Me. This is the brand new, uh, this is the brand new, uh, you know, kid viral sensation. And of course, adult viral sensation as well. I also want to say one thing, one little quickie. If you are a grown individual complaining about kids in a movie theater whenever you go to see Sonic the Hedgehog, do I need to say more? Anyways, moving on to the next topic of the day. Need for Speed development is making its way back to Criterion Games as Ghost Games downsizes. After eight years away, EA is returning the Need for Speed franchise to burnout developer Criterion Games. Current franchise leader Ghost Games is said to become an EA Gothenburg once again. Ghost Games has been the name and home for Need for Speed for the last four games in the series, developing 2013's Need for Speed Rivals, 2015's Need for Speed Reboot, 2017's Payback, and last year's Heat. While Payback marked a low point for the series, Ghost Games was getting the Street Racer back on track, with Heat earning a 7 out of 10 from GameSpot, and in general, pretty good reviews across the board. Now the series returns to Criterion, the studio most well-known for creating the Burnout series and developers of 2010's Need for Speed Hot Pursuit and 2012's Need for Speed Most Wanted. The UK-based studio downsized in 2013, with many employees moving to Ghost Games, but since then Criterion has taken on a supporting role helping DICE on Star Wars Battlefront, Battlefront 2, and Battlefield 5. Quote, with a strong history and passion for racing games and vision for what we can create, the Criterion team is going to take Need for Speed into the next generation, EA said in a statement to GI.biz. All of this leaves Ghost Games to refocus as the studio becomes an engineering hub supporting development across EA's other projects. This engineering expertise in our Gothenburg team, some of whom are architects on the Frostbite engine, is vital to a number of our ongoing projects, and they would remain in that location, EA said. The publisher is looking to transfer the creative team of Ghost Games to positions at Criterion and other studios within the organization, but 30 roles still remain at risk. Outside of the engineers and those that we plan to transfer to other positions, there will be 30 additional staff in Gothenburg, and we would hope to place as many of them as possible into other roles in the company. One of the key reasons for the change comes down to location. Despite our best efforts to establish an independent development group in Gothenburg over several years, it has become clear that the breadth of the talent we need to maintain a full AAA studio is just not available to us there, EA explained. Criterion is based in Guildford, which is one of the biggest hubs for the UK's game development scene. Much like the beginning of this generation, the Need for Speed series is moving house as the next gen draws near. Criterion is very different studio to the one that developed Most Wanted with studio founders Alex Ward and Fiona Sperry departing in 2014. Nevertheless, it is still exciting to see the studio back making a game that's wholly its own, not to mention the first Need for Speed game for PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. I think that the article points out the main point that I want to make, and that is that although it is exciting to see Need for Speed and Criterion in the same headline, it is worth noting that it's not the same company that developed Burnout. It's not the same company that developed Hot Pursuit or Most Wanted. It's somewhat of an entirely different beast in and of itself. And so I think it's exciting because obviously Electronic Arts is valuing the Need for Speed franchise. Obviously they are wanting it to succeed, because otherwise they wouldn't be investing any kind of uh, funding. They wouldn't be investing any kind of manpower into the future of Need for Speed. Now, personally, I did not play Heat. I have not gotten around to it yet. It's on the list, as it probably is for many of you people out there that enjoy racing games. Uh, but I am excited to see the future of Need for Speed. I would love 
for them to just drop Need for Speed all together and go back to Burnout. Loved Burnout. Specifically, just take Burnout 3 Takedown and just and just do that again, but with really good graphics and really high frame rates. Oh yeah, that's where it's at right there. But excited to see what Criterion comes up with, and of course, best of luck for everybody moving around over there at Electronic Arts. However, Blizzard's cancelled StarCraft Ghost has leaked in a playable form. The third-person shooter spent years in development limbo. Blizzard's cancelled StarCraft Ghost has been the stuff of gaming legend. It was supposed to mark Blizzard's big leap into 3D action games, but it never came to pass. Delays, changing developers, and evolving game platforms led the studio to put the game on indefinite hold. Now, however, gamers appear to be getting a first-hand look at what they have missed. YouTube users Lears Meneses and Delso Bezerra and others say they have obtained a playable build of Ghost for the original Xbox through a leaked developer kit. It is unsurprisingly broken. The first two missions don't work properly, Menezes said. But it appears to have been well into development. You can fend off Zerg and engage in Metal Gear Solid style cheats. Excuse me, chats. This is not about to make you lament the game's fate. It looks like standard third-party shooter fare from the early 2000s, just set in the StarCraft universe. You can use your arsenal, including a ghost signature sniper rifle, environmental exploration, and a little bit of stealth to help the Terran survive. The title looks good for the time, but not a timeless classic. You likely know. Of course, how this happened after Blizzard axed Ghost. The company switched its focus to games like StarCraft II, and it was not until 2016's Overwatch that you could get an on-the-ground 3D action title. That does not make it any apparent less... Excuse me. That does not make the apparent leak any less interesting, though. It's a snapshot of Blizzard trying and eventually failing to diversify its gaming experiences at an important moment in the company's history. So this is a really, really neat piece of content, and I will say I'm not going to show the gameplay because I don't want this to get taken down. I don't know what Blizzard is going to be pursuing uh, in this regard, but this was something of legend whenever I started paying attention to gaming news. You heard about StarCraft Ghost and the fact that it was going to be something and then it just kind of fell apart. Uh, to be able to see this gameplay and to be able to actually see what could have been is something that I think not only is very valuable for gaming history, uh, but it also proves that you probably didn't want to play this to begin with. It seems very generic, uh, quite frankly. I think that they made the right decision in pulling the plug because... It kind of would have given StarCraft a bad name, uh, especially when it comes to the, uh, the blemish on an otherwise very highly esteemed franchise. But that's just my two cents. If you want to check it out, of course, you can find the videos linked in the Engadget article, which I have linked down below. But again, I'm not going to show it because your boy don't want none of that copyright action. Mm-mm. Anyways, moving on to the Uncharted movie. It's been long in development, but Tom Holland says it's one of the best scripts he's ever read. Okay. The upcoming Uncharted film may have been going through development hell for a while now, but lead actor Tom Holland, who plays young Nathan Drake, says it has one of the best scripts he's ever read. I read the newest draft of the script on the way over here, and it's one of the best scripts I've ever read. Holland told IGN, it really, really jumps off the page. I think what Uncharted offers that most video game films don't is that it's an origin story to the games. So if you played the games, you haven't seen what's going to happen in the film, he said. And if you haven't played the games, you are going to enjoy the film because it's information that everyone else is getting at the same time. But I am super excited to make that movie, and it's been a long time coming. The upcoming film has been in the works for 13 years now and has gone through a whopping six directors, most recently Bumblebee's Travis Knight, who became attached to the film after Dan Trachenberg left the project. After Trachenberg had been brought on to replace director Sean Levy in 2019. 
The picture has not had much luck keeping its directors, with Seth Gordon, Neil Berger, and David O. Russell respectively all previously attached to the film. Zombieland Double Tap's Ruben Fleischer is now reportedly in the running to direct the Uncharted film. Sony Pictures recently confirmed it would delay the release of the live-action film until March 5th, 2021, pushing the cinematic release back three months from its planned December 18th date. Holland also sung the praises of co-star Mark Wahlberg, who will be playing Nathan Drake's mentor. I think Mark Wahlberg is going to kill it as Sully, and it's going to be a lot of fun, he said. Now, one thing I want to uh, just mention, there has been no word that the shooting for this movie has actually begun, and it is almost one year out. You have 13 months to shoot and edit an entire film. Possible? Perhaps it depends on how uh, well pieces are falling together. I still have no faith in this movie. I think that Tom Holland is trying to generate uh, any bit of excitement that he can because he's still getting paid for the project and it would be nice to get people in the theaters. Uh, but I'm more morbidly curious at this point and I would love for this to continue the trend uh, that Sonic the Hedgehog has set where, hey, it's a good video game movie. Detective Pikachu, good as well. Let's keep it rolling with Uncharted and with names like Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, the potential's there. But there is also plenty of potential for it to be absolutely horrendous. Uh, I would also say, as somebody also mentioned on Reddit or Twitter, one of the two, that's generally where I live throughout the day, uh, I believe that Uncharted Golden Abyss was the origin story of Uncharted. So maybe this is based loosely on the events of Golden Abyss, or it could be something else entirely. I suppose we will have to wait and see. Uh, but again, that movie is supposedly launching March 5th of 2021, uh, just about... What is that? A little, uh, about a year and a week, 53 weeks away. Good luck. However, for those that want a custom Cyberpunk 2077 RTX 2080 Ti, you can't buy it, but you can win it. NVIDIA has partnered with CD Projekt Red to create a ray tracing capable GPU that is customized a la the upcoming Cyberpunk 2077. Put your wild away because Lady Luck has to pick up this tab. A handful of Cyberpunk 2077 Canary Yellow RTX 2080 Ti graphics cards were made by NVIDIA for a giveaway and there is a short video showing off what exactly they look like and man, uh, do they look good. Uh, they are very yellow. If you have a red build, this might look good with that. But in general, uh, the nice striking blue with some NVIDIA uh, yellow, you know, for this card would be very nice. However, impressive, impressive indeed. Uh, but as you or excuse me, as the tweet mentions, you need to be fortunate to win this. Retweet it while tagging a pal of yours, including the hashtag RTX on, and if the universe smiles upon you, both of you will win the GPU. NVIDIA says only 77 were created. Dodgy math aside, there will probably be a minimum of 39 pairs of winners, possibly upwards of 50 pairs of winners. The odds are not in your favor. But it doesn't hurt to try. Someone has to win them, and maybe you can do at it. Maybe a can-do attitude, there we go, can help transform part of your rig from gunmetal gray to yellow. Ray tracing makes the visuals pop and a yellow GPU makes the inside of your case pop and PC gaming is all about the popping. I almost said pooping. Uh, anyways, if you do want to pick up this, of course you're going to have to win it, but man, that is a good looking piece of hardware. A good looking piece of hardware indeed. And so if you have a friend, uh, then by all means tag him on Twitter and get that hashtag trending as it was earlier today. Uh, but again, Cyberpunk 2077 coming out in September and it would be very cool uh, to be able to play the game with one of these puppies in your machine. I know I said that as somebody who would love to have one of these puppies in my machine, but I suppose 
We'll just have to wait and see if luck is in my favor. Uh, but that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. If you enjoyed this one, drop me a like down below and let me know what you think about the show. And on top of that, the news that we talked about today. But I'll be back tomorrow for a brand new episode. You guys have a good one and peace.